0: that appreciate that so we are in our series on the Holy Spirit and if you'd like to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John and turn to chapter 16 that would be great and we will start off there you know as Calvary Chapel we normally just go through the next book verse-by-verse exposition and so that's the the thing we do. We've been doing that forever. But um, a while back, the Lord had put on my heart to, as we started this new year, to study the Holy Spirit because it just seemed that we needed to understand that. And as I've shared in the past couple of weeks, do you have AirPlay on, Jesse? Uh, Apple TV. It just seemed to me that... Um, we needed to understand the holy spirit much better Uh, there we go great thank you and of course it's a something that causes people i think much agita and much misunderstanding uh, in christianity so uh, we did last week our first one who is the holy spirit the deity and the personality of the holy spirit Today we're looking at the role and the work of the Holy Spirit both in the world and in the church. Then in the coming weeks we're going to look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what is it, how does it happen, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Then we're going to take a few weeks to specifically look at the giftings of the Holy Spirit. And I'm excited we're going to provide a little tool to help you understand what your gift or your gifts of the Spirit are. Um, something that I've used and that has helped me tremendously over the years. And then the last week, we're going to have the pastors together uh, here to do some Q&A and for them to also do a little sharing about any of the gaps or the things that I may have missed as we've been going through our teaching. So as I mentioned last week, we looked at uh, who is the Holy Spirit, the deity, and the personality. And some of the things that we covered last week were the Trinity, We talked about that briefly, that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it, and he is the third person of the triunity. We looked at the promise of the Holy Spirit from John chapter 14 that Jesus had given us, that uh, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And as we looked at the person of the Holy Spirit, we looked at some of the attacks on his deity and his sovereignty, and then we looked at some of the traits, the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, uh, his intelligence, his will, his emotion, and we looked at scriptures that talk about that with the Holy Spirit. We looked at the personal pronouns that are used in scripture to speak of the Holy Spirit, so obviously scripture speaks of the Spirit of God as a person, the Holy Spirit Um, is treated as a person and speaks as a person in the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit gives us power to live daily this life that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. We looked at the Spirit of God being eternal, and we went back to Genesis chapter 1 and how the Spirit of God was there at the very beginning of time in Genesis 1-2 and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then we looked at some of the divine attributes of the Holy Spirit, His uh, omnipresence, that He is everywhere present at all times, that He is omniscient, that He has the same power and characteristic of God the Father, that He knows all things and that He cannot learn anything new. That he is omnipotent, that he is all powerful, like God the Father and like God the Son, that he is eternal, and as we saw, uh, he has been here since before the beginning of creation and Genesis, and that he is sovereign, and that he has a will and is able to make God like decisions and direct God's people into his will for their lives. So today, as we move into the role and the work of the Holy Spirit, We want to look at John chapter 16 and we want to begin reading in verse 4 down to verse 15. So if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn there, that would be great. Or, of course, you can read here along with us. I always encourage you to use your Bible and to learn where these things are in your Bible. But these things I have told you that when the time comes you may remember that I told you of them and these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me and none of you asks me where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, "'I will send him to you, and when he is come, "'he will convict the world of sin "'and of righteousness and of judgment, "'of sin because they do not believe in me, "'of righteousness because I go to my Father "'and you see me no more, "'of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. "'I still have many things to say to you, "'but you cannot bear them now. "'However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, "'he will guide you into all truth.' For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Lord, may you give blessing and understanding to the reading of your word, and as we study it together, may you... Just bring us into a closer relationship with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin to look at this, uh, Jesus gave us sort of an outline here for the person and the work of the Holy Spirit as he uh, would be sent from Jesus himself. And Jesus, of course, said, but um, nevertheless, these things I've told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you these things. And then he said, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asked me where are you going, but because I've said these things, sorrows filled your heart. And he said in verse 7, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And that's what... We want to look at this morning is this issue of convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When it says that the Holy Spirit would come and convict the world, the word convict means to reprove, to expose, to admonish, to correct, to show to be wrong, and to demonstrate, and to make manifest. So the first thing I wanted to let you know this morning is that as we are commanded to go and to share the gospel with the lost and the dying world, we are commanded to understand that the Holy Spirit is the primary agent in salvation. So as we go, and as we share the gospel, and we'll get into this in a a, a little bit further as we go along, the Holy Spirit has a distinct role. He convicts the world, and as the, the people of the world hear the gospel, and as God speaks to them both through general revelation as well as through the words that we bring as we share the gospel, as we live the gospel in front of people, as we hand out tracts, as we verbally speak the gospel to people, the Holy Spirit, in his role, convicts the world. He brings a spiritual understanding. Now think about your own experience, if you can. How was it that when the gospel was spoken to you, that something changed in your heart? What was it that flipped the switch, so to speak, to bring you to the place of saying, I'm a miserable, rotten sinner, and I need to be forgiven. I need the grace of the Lord. I need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And I submit to you that that was the work of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And so we are told that the Holy Spirit will bring the conviction. And the conviction is of three things. First of all, of sin. Sin is to miss the mark, it's to be in error, it's to be in the wrong, it's to violate God's law, to commit an offense, to wander from God, and the collection or the aggregation of wrongs before God are sort of brought into our purview so we can see it, and it's to be guilty before God. So the first thing the Holy Spirit brings conviction of as we share the Gospel, and even as the Holy Spirit himself just divinely works on a person's heart, is to bring to light their sin now I think we can all agree here that we don't like to be wrong do we anybody here have a trouble admitting you're wrong when you're wrong I'll raise my hand and we, we don't like to be wrong we don't like to be told that we're wrong do we that's just kind of innate in us why because it's it's the pride of the fallen nature we don't want to be told that we're wrong we don't like to be corrected but the Holy Spirit comes in his, his method, and whatever his method is is whatever we need. And he will come and he will bring the correction by bringing our sin and to show us our sin and to show us how far we are from God and to show us our violation of God's love and of God's grace and of God's love. But he doesn't just stop there and convicting us of our sin. He convicts us of righteousness And the word righteousness speaks of innocence, of holiness, and of justice. Thayer, in his dictionary, says righteousness can be thought of as integrity or virtue or purity of life, of rightness, of correctness, of thinking, feeling, and acting. You see, righteousness brings us to the place of saying, I need to adopt God's standard and not my own. Because most of us are just coasting through life with our own definition of right and wrong. As we saw from the lady in the tweet earlier who thinks it's wrong for anyone to put any kind of moral boundaries upon children or truth. Because in her view there is no truth and we shouldn't even try to tell people what truth is. And the strange thing is when people say those things that they they are actually saying they have truth and their truth is that there is no truth. And so we are called through our understanding of righteousness to adopt God's standard as my standard. Zodiades, a Greek scholar, wrote this, and I'm reading it to you because I thought it spoke so clearly. The righteousness of God is the claim which God has upon man in order for man to recognize and fully submit to that claim of God upon his or her life. He must receive God as he offers himself and his righteousness to him as a gift. Man can only accept the claims of God upon his life as he repents of his sin and receives Christ as his Savior by faith. He thus becomes a child of God, realizing God's claims upon him by the miraculous regenerating action of the Holy Spirit. The recognition and acceptance of God's claim upon man realized through faith stands in opposition to the righteousness which is of the law and which is man's acceptance of the claims of the law upon his life. Man, in his natural fallen condition, tends rather to accept his own set of standards, creating his own righteousness. In reality, however, such a set of standards is not righteousness at all, and certainly does not satisfy God's standard. God's righteousness is imputed and imparted as a gift to man and not earned. It results in God's act of justification by faith through Christ." So the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, he convicts of righteousness, and then finally he convicts of judgment. Judgment is specifically divine law. Judgment says that there is a judge. Judgment says that there is an accusation, that there is condemnation, and that there is damnation. Again, Thayer says that judgment is an opinion or a decision given something, especially concerning justice and injustice, right and wrong. Judgment also implies a sentence of condemnation or damnation. And remember that there are always courts and that there are judges. The question is, where do judges derive their sense of right and wrong? Where do they derive their law? Even in the days of Jesus, there were traveling judges or tribunals of judges, seven men who would travel through the cities and that they would act as sort of a circuit court. And as you're probably aware in our own Supreme Court, there are nine justices or judges who sit and they rule upon matters of law. So when we think of judgment as the Holy Spirit brings conviction, it's his role to convince us of all these things, to show us our sin, to show us our need. And as he reveals our sin to us, and then he reveals to us God's standard of righteousness, and then he reveals to us that there is a coming judgment and that there is a judge, that we cannot stand before him, then he will reveal to us the truth that we need to see. He will bring us to that place of understanding. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 9 there, He convicts of sin because they do not believe in me. See, sin is an obstacle to believing in Jesus. In verse 10, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, judgment comes to Satan, the ruler of this world. And it comes to all who believe in Satan and who follow his ways. And then he went on to say, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So what are some of the things that the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit guides and leads disciples into the truth. And so when he leads and guides us into the truth, Jesus said that he would lead all of his disciples into the truth that he would speak with God's authority and that he will speak as he hears God speak to him and he will tell us of things to come. He is our helper, our teacher, our guide, our giver of understanding and our reminder of truth. So before we become disciples, we can't understand the truth. So the Holy Spirit has to work in the world and the heart and the mind of the unbeliever. And as people become believers through the work of the Holy Spirit... Now they come to a place that they can begin to understand that God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes to guide us into all truth. We also see that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He prays for us and he makes intercession for us according to God's will. Where do we see that? Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit of God also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so the Holy Spirit, as he comes into our lives as believers, does these things for us. He prays for us. Now, I don't know about you in your prayer life, but sometimes in my prayer life, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what to pray for about a person who's asked me to pray for them. Because sometimes people say, would you pray for this? And as I listen to their prayer request, I think that's not the real issue. You kind of want the problem fixed, but God wants us to have him. God wants us to have his solution. Remember, Jesus is the one who taught us to pray. Not my will, but thy will be done, as he was in the garden. And so we need to be able to come and to say, Lord, I know what I want to pray, and maybe even pray it because God is so gracious and merciful. But also I think it's a good practice, as we're told here in Romans 8, 26 and 27, to just claim this promise that the Spirit of God makes intercession for us, it says, with groanings which cannot be uttered. I don't know if you've ever done this. I have many times when I've been in deep turmoil or distress, and all I can do is groan because I don't even know how to pray. And we have this wonderful promise in verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What an amazing thing that the Spirit of God would intercede for you and me between us and heaven, between us and the throne of God, especially when we don't know how to pray for one another or for ourselves. The next thing is, and this is a big one, the Holy Spirit seals us. Now what does that mean? That means when he comes into our lives, he comes as a pledge, as a guarantee, as a down payment. And we see here in this Verse in 2 Corinthians, as it's written here for you. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has an, and has anointed us as God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You see, the Spirit of God is given to us at salvation as a guarantee. And what is the guarantee? That he will never leave us or forsake us. It's a guarantee that as it says in Philippians chapter 1, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, you see there in verses 13 and 14, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, there's the work of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Jesus spoke in Luke's gospel and in Acts chapter 1, tarry in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. What was the promise of the Father? It was the Holy Spirit. It was the helper whom he would send. So you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So again, he's saying in a different way what, Paul's, what he said in, in Philippians 1, that God will be faithful to complete the work that he began in you until the day of Christ Jesus, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. You see, we have an inheritance in Christ. Jesus is giving us the blessings and the riches of God himself. Jesus is giving us the blessing and the riches that God his Father has given to him. And we will get to to be with him in heaven and enjoy the full benefits of being adopted as sons and daughters into his family. And the Holy Spirit is a seal, is a guarantee that God will keep his word. And when we get discouraged along the way, and let me remind us, none of us knows how long the way is, do we? Nobody knows when the day is or the moment is when we will breathe our last So until then, whenever that is, we sort of assume it's going to be 70 or 80 or whatever. Like Moses said, 70 or 80 years if due to strength. But God's in charge of that. But until then, along the way, as we live this journey of life, and we tend to get a little discouraged, let's remember the Spirit of God has sealed our hearts for that day of redemption when we stand before God. See, He's going to deliver us not only to the grave, but through the grave to the very presence of God. We will stand before the throne of God because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's so important for us to know this. And then in verse 30 of Ephesians 4, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That doesn't mean the day you were saved. It means the day you're delivered into his presence. And this idea of sealing is a stamp as with a signet ring. Perhaps you're familiar of back in the day that kings and, and dignitaries would take a hot wax and seal a document. They would put it over the edge of the document and then they would take their ring, which was their signature, and they would press it in and make the impression of the king's royal signet or that dignitary's uh, impression on that document. And to say that we would be sealed with the Holy Spirit says that God would, would put his impression upon our hearts. And that he would mark us as his own. Now remember, as we studied through the book of Revelation, we looked at this and we looked at how God will mark us out. You know, especially those who become saved, the tribulation saints, during the time of the tribulation, it says the Lord knows those who are his his own and he puts his mark or his seal upon them and that's another way that he will bring a seal during that day. But during this day, prior to that time, We are sealed as with a signet ring. We have been marked. We've been identified like a brand. We've been embossed. We have a mark put put upon us, and that mark is an attestation like a notary public or a witness that guarantees or proves or authenticates the relationship, and that that mark is true. It, It proves what a person professes to be. And again, Zodiates says, God attests and confirms by the gift of the Holy Spirit as the earnest, the pledge, or the seal of their election to salvation. You see, we don't always understand these terms like election and predestination, and you know, there's kind of a both and, you know, whosoever will may come, but then when we come, we realize that we were called and that we were elected and selected unto predestination. And the Holy Spirit is the evidence that God himself has called us and sealed us to be his very own. You see, the sealing of the Holy Spirit should bring confidence and hope to us. And in those times when we feel distant from God, because perhaps we haven't been walking with him, we need to remember that his seal is placed upon our lives, that God has claimed us. And that the Holy Spirit, that seal, that mark that's upon our hearts that has sealed our relationship with him, although we can't see it, it's there. And it says even that God himself, we're going to read this in a minute, I'm jumping ahead, but that God himself bears witness with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. What an amazing thing because of the seal of the Holy Spirit. So how does he bring this confidence to to us, How does he bring this hope to us? Well, as it says here in Romans chapter 8, talking about those who living uh, according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, and according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. But he says in 9 through 11, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now you say, how do I know if I have it or if I don't? Let me just say to you, this is one of those things that you know. If you've, if you've repented of your sin, if you've turned to Christ, then first of all, you have the promise in the Word of God that you have the Holy Spirit. But then you know. You know He dwells within you. And we're going to continue to talk about this as we go in, in terms of how do we know the Spirit of God dwells in us. But he says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, this is kind of getting to the point where we're gonna start talking about the leading of the Holy Spirit, which is why we've dedicated a whole whole message to that. But the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of, of God, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he didn't just come inside and he's just sitting on a corner on a shelf. He has sealed our lives. He is an active participant In our lives. And it's us who sometimes put him on a shelf. But you see, that's not where he wants to be. He has actively sealed us and he's keeping us for the day that we meet Jesus face to face. And he wants to usher us into God's presence and confidence. And look what Paul says in Romans 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's a proverb that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? Anybody ever been maybe a little discouraged because you've kind of lost hope or you've lost perspective of hope? The Holy Spirit reminds you. He causes you to abound in hope. And that's why when we get a little discouraged along the way and we can't see the beginning from the end, we know that he can. Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Holy Spirit recalls these things for us. And he causes us to abound in hope. This morning, are you lacking in hope? Has your hope waned in the the past days or in the past year? Listen, the Holy Spirit this morning wants to remind you that the reason we have for hope has nothing to do with the world. It has nothing to do with our investments. It has nothing to do with our position in life. It has everything to do with our position in Christ. And our position in Christ is assured and sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness that we belong to God. It's very similar to this idea of sealing. See, in Romans 8, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of, of bondage. Sorry about that. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of bondage by whom we excuse me, the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. You see, the spirit who has come to take up residence inside of us and who has sealed us and has given us this guarantee, the spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do I know? Because he bears witness. And I can tell you this morning with all confidence, not with arrogance, but with confidence that I know he has sealed my heart. I know I belong to him. Do you know that? Do you this morning, as you sit here listening to these words, do you know that the spirit of God dwells in you? And I would say to you this morning, if there's any doubt in your mind, Don't wrestle with it. Just stop right now and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want that assurance of your presence in my life. I want that assurance of forgiveness. I want that conviction of the Holy Spirit that's already been at work to just infiltrate my life. Lord, I come and I believe I humble myself and I accept you. And I guarantee you, on the basis of his word, that he will bear witness that he has come into your life. You see, there should be no doubt for the child of God that Jesus has come into our lives and that we belong to him. No doubt whatsoever. You see, if there is doubt, then perhaps there's either a misunderstanding or we've never trusted him. Either way, make it sure, make it real. And it says also that the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God within our hearts. In other words, he makes the love of God accessible to us. Look at what it says in Romans 5. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. I love it when, when these words are used to describe the love of God. It's not like we get a present, like somebody gives you a package for your birthday and says, oh, here's that thing you wanted, or we get a gift for Christmas. We don't just get a gift and go, oh, yeah, and put it on the shelf with all the other ones that we never use. This is the Holy Spirit being poured out in our hearts. Think about that imagery of being poured out. You know, when we pour something out, when we spill something, it just goes everywhere, right? It's sloppy. It's a mess. Listen, the love of God is messy. And it should be messy, Because we have a lot of garbage, and when the love of God comes flooding into our lives, it has to wash away all the garbage and the filth, and it has to replace it with the cleanliness and the holiness and the goodness of God. And so when the Holy Spirit has been poured out in our hearts, whom God has given to us, love is what comes out of our lives. Love becomes the byproduct of the indwelling power of the holy spirit in our lives because he bears witness and how does he bear witness because he begins to do his work in us i can't wait to get to these other sessions that talk about that we're going to talk about the fruit of the spirit we're going to talk about the leading of the spirit but for now as we continue with this the holy spirit will give believers power for service and refreshment for the journey anybody need that On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Spirit, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified." So the Spirit of God, according to this promise that Jesus gave, not just to his disciples in that day, but to all of us, is if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And I believe that promise is not just a a call or a draw to salvation, but it's for the believer. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and he who believes in me, this scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See, this picture that Jesus was painting for his disciples and that he has given to us is simply this, and I'll say it this way, that there should be an outflow of the overflow of God in our lives. There should be something flowing out because something's flowing in. And listen, if you're a child of God, something is flowing in. But the problem often becomes we constipate the flow of God in our lives through our sin. We block it, and we won't allow him to use us as conduits, as vessels for his glory. But he wants to do that. As the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See, he wants our hearts to just overflow with goodness and grace and love and mercy. Why? Because that's what he's pouring into our lives. The Spirit of God wants to use us as his cup, as his vessel. We were talking about this Friday night in a premarital session Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. In light of this verse, do you see why Psalm 23 says my cup runs over? Because God keeps pouring into it, and he doesn't go, you know, you pour it. If you're in a restaurant, what do you do? They start to pour in, and you're like, right, that's enough, no more. Well, we don't, don't do this to God, okay? Just a, a word of advice, don't do that to the Lord. Just say, keep pouring. God, I need, just keep pouring. And he will. And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I think we ought to make that a prayer. God, make my life an overflowing vessel that your rivers of living water can flow forth from. One translation even says, gush forth. Do you get the picture? God wants there to be an abundance and he wants there to be an overflow. Well, coming back to the issue of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, In John chapter 3, we find that the Holy Spirit is integral in the process of salvation. Remember in John chapter 3, where Jesus was interacting with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus said to him, after Jesus said, you know, you must be born again, he says, how do you do that? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You see, to come to Christ means you are born spiritually, you were born again. Those are Jesus' words. And so a person, when they come to Christ, that process of being born again is a work of the Holy Spirit. And in John 6, 63, he said, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So Jesus was speaking in spiritual terms. You remember often Jesus as he was speaking He would turn around and walk away, or his disciples would walk away, and they would say to one another, Anybody know what he was talking about? Anybody get that? Because they didn't understand that he was speaking in spiritual terms. But Jesus was always speaking in spiritual terms. Because the Spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit will bring comfort to us when we are walking with Jesus. In Acts 9.31, it says, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. This is after the conversion of Paul, or Saul, to Christ. And as this happened, you remember, you remember Saul, Saul of Tarsus, he was like the Tasmanian devil. He was persecuting Christians, man, he was just wreaking havoc on the church. And then he got saved dramatically on the road to Damascus. And in the wake of of that amazing, dramatic salvation and the going away of all of that persecution that was was intensified through the person of Saul of Tarsus, it says this, the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and they were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to bring comfort to our lives, especially in times of turmoil. And so we need to wait for him to bring that comfort to us as these churches had to wait for God to do something amazing and dramatic with this man, Saul of Tarsus, whom we all know became the Apostle Paul. Another ministry of the Holy Spirit, remember we're talking about the idea of the, of the ministry, uh, the role and the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and in the church. The Holy Spirit raises up leaders in the church. We have this amazing verse in Acts chapter 20 as Paul was traveling back to Jerusalem and he met with the Ephesian elders on the beach of Miletus on his way back to Jerusalem. And it says here in, in his words to them, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You see, we think sometimes when we appoint leaders and when we lay hands on people that we're doing it. No, we're not. That's why we take the view here that what we're doing is we're recognizing this. We're seeing those people whom God has raised up and has made overseers in particular And then when we bring them up and we lay hands on them and pray for them, we're just agreeing with the work that the Holy Spirit has already been doing. See, we aren't appointing anyone. He's already done the appointing. We're just agreeing with what he's done. And so the Holy Spirit, as a part of his ministry in the work of the church, is he appoints and ordains and raises up leaders according to his will and his liking. And then as we continue here, the Holy Spirit gives wisdom and spiritual awareness and insight. Now, anybody ever need wisdom? Anybody need spiritual awareness and insight? We have this passage here in 1 Corinthians 2, and let's just read it together. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in the mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but as it is written, I is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us Through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. That's the spirit that was given to us and that seals us. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Do you want spiritual understanding, especially when it comes to reading God's word? We call upon and we lean upon the person and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You see, we need the Spirit of God to help us understand the blessings of God, the things of God. These things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things. With spiritual. In other words, don't get caught up in the physical, material world. But the natural man, that is the unbeliever, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Ever wondered why your friends can't understand the things of God or why you like to go to church? This is why. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. How can a person who's not born again and does not have the Spirit of God understand anything? That's spiritual, meaning Jesus, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit. But he who is spiritual judges or discerns all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no, no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? Through the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God gives us wisdom. Wisdom. The Spirit of God gives us spiritual awareness. The Spirit of God gives us insight. And when we get into the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is this thing called discernment. Now, this doesn't just fall into a general label like intuition. But this is a spiritual gift where God gives certain people sort of an extra dose of this spiritual wisdom, which he promises to all of us. And certain people seem to get a little extra dose of discernment. And I love that because these people are often given to help protect the church when wolves come in sheep's clothing. People who are given that gift of discernment can understand that there's something more going on than meets the eye. But all of us need wisdom. All of us need spiritual discernment and wisdom and insight. And the Holy Spirit has promised those things to us. Next, the Holy Spirit is restraining evil in the world through the church until the appointed time, meaning when the church is raptured and we start that crazy period of time called the tribulation. Paul wrote these words in 2 Thessalonians, Do you not remember that when I was with you, when I was still with you, I told you these things and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Notice verse 7 and the capitalizations of the personal pronouns. Only he, capitalized, who now restrains will do so until he, capitalized, is taken out of the way. Now, I'm not going to go and teach that passage, but when we taught that passage a couple of years ago most of the commentators and the scholars agree that this is referring to the presence of the Holy Spirit in and through the lives of the church. And what he's teaching here, as we understand it, is this, that it's not yet time for the Antichrist to come on the scene and for that trigger event to happen, whatever that is, that begins the time of the tribulation and the rapture of the church until God himself says to the Holy Spirit, go get them, And when he comes and he removes his church out of the way, the Spirit doesn't leave because he's clearly on the earth during the time of the tribulation doing his work. But he removes the presence of the church. And you see, the church is commanded, are we not, to be salt and light. We are called here to be lights in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. And as long as the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit is in my and your life and in the lives of all believers then until the day that the church is removed from the world, he's doing his work. So he's restraining evil in the world through the church until the appointed time when he removes the church from the world. What an amazing thing. Do you start to see how permeating the work of the Holy Spirit is in our lives and how important it is for us to understand that he's not only with us, but he's in us and he wants to come upon us? through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not just the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit, but he wants to give us more, and that's why we're gonna talk about this issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In verse 14 of the passage we're considering, Jesus says, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So one of the key aspects about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and in the life of the church is this. The Spirit will do what? glorify Jesus. So that's important for us to know, to circle and to underline. Why? Because people who claim to operate in the Spirit, if they're not glorifying Jesus and pointing back to Jesus, then something's wrong. Because Jesus himself, who said he would send the Spirit, is telling us how the Spirit will work. See, Jesus said he points to the Father. And then he said, the Spirit will point to me. So the Spirit, according to Jesus, will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. See, when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit and we move into that arena, we need to understand that the gifts of the Spirit, as as we'll study in great detail, will will point us to the fact that whenever God gives us a manifestation of the Spirit in our lives, it points to Jesus. Jesus. It's not some bizarre thing that points to the person who has the the gift that they're using. It's something that always points to Jesus because when Jesus gave his Holy Spirit, What's the point of the Spirit? The point of the Spirit is to, to save the world, to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Then he uses us in that process. Then in that beautiful passage of Ephesians 5 on marriage, remember it, it get, at the very beginning it says, we need to be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit and subject ourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. And it gives us that beautiful passage beginning in verse 22 on what marriage looks like. And in the, in, in the description of Ephesians 5 on marriage, what does it say? It says, it's to be a picture of the relationship between Jesus and his church. And everything in that passage is a picture painted to say of how the bride, the wife, glorifies the son. And how the picture of marriage is to point back to Jesus. You see, our marriage is a biblical, godly, wholesome marriage points to Jesus. And that really is the point of marriage. The point of marriage is not so much to get together and have our needs met. The point of marriage is to point to Christ. And so the Spirit will glorify Jesus. He points to Jesus. He takes what is from Jesus and uses it to point right back to him. Here are some things Jesus said. I have many things to say to you and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. So Jesus is saying, I'm giving to you what God gave me to give to you. This is to prove the fact that Jesus is saying, now the Spirit's going to do the same thing. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. I speak what I have seen with my Father and you know what you have seen with your Father speaking to the religious leaders. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should, uh, that I, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whenever, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. And then in John fourteen ten, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. All of those things that Jesus is saying about everything he does is for the Father and from the Father. Now he's saying in John 16, 14, the Spirit's going to do the same thing, except he's going to speak of me. So as we consider these things, I'm not going to go through all of this because our time is getting short. But the Spirit leads us the spirit guides us the spirit protects us in verse 15 he says all things that the father has are mine therefore i said that he will take of mine and declare it to you speaking of the holy spirit that the spirit would take of mine and declare it to you you see the father the son and the holy spirit are in agreement they will never contradict one another they will always be in unity with one another So whenever we see the Holy Spirit at work, when we attribute something to the work of the Holy Spirit, that must always agree with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It must always agree with Scripture. Scripture is our guide, not experience. And here's one of the major issues that we have as we consider the wider movement of what we might loosely term Pentecostalism. There tends to be a shift in certain circles more toward experience. Experience is important, but experience validates Scripture. It's not that we seek an experience. And people who are out living for an experience, they've departed from the Word of God, which is a very dangerous thing. The Spirit, as Jesus has just told us, always points back to Him. And whatever is done in the name and the work of the Spirit must bring glory To the person and the work of God the Father and God the Son. And if it's not bringing glory to God, it is not of the Spirit, pure and simple. Ephesians 4, as we close with this, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The work of the Spirit, again, points back to Jesus Christ. And so as we close today, as we've been talking about this issue of the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, and in the church, we've only scratched the surface, really, on what he does in and through the life of the church. I've tried to hit some of the higher level issues that we're not going to cover in later weeks, but as we come back to this in later weeks, we will end up covering some of this again as we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the leading of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit. So there will be some redundancy here, but hopefully you're beginning to get the point as we've talked about who is the Holy Spirit and the role and the work of the Holy Spirit, that these these things are foundational for our lives. The person and work of the Holy Spirit, you see, we can't just casually laissez-faire, kind of go, oh yeah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Oh yeah, we're supposed to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You see, the Holy Spirit is integral. He is God incarnate, Uh, following Christ Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh but now the Holy Spirit has come by Christ to be in our lives and the Spirit guides us and he leads us and our relationship with God the Father and God the Son is enabled by our relationship with the Holy Spirit so we can't minimize the work of the Holy Spirit can we it's so vitally important to our lives well let's close Lord thank you this morning for your work and speaking to us thank you for ministering to us god thank you for your word and god we bless your name this morning we just are so grateful for the spirit who has been given to us and lord may you be honored in our lives as we attempt to walk forward with this understanding of the spirit and lord giving you your due and your rightful place in our lives may we understand that all things are spiritually discerned and that as we have believed in Jesus and come to faith and you have now come into our lives and you have sealed us you have given us this pledge this guarantee you've given us so much more you through the spirit have given us life you've given us hope you've given us understanding you you've given us things that we could never gain for ourselves in the world You've given us, in a sense, an education of who you are, God. You've given us a spiritual reality that the world could never give us. Thank you for that new life. Thank you for that relationship. Thank you for the power and the presence of your spirit. God, gush forth from our lives like living water. And may we be filled to overflowing. May we be walking in the freedom and the newness of the life that you have given to us so richly and freely through your son, Jesus. And may your spirit at work in our lives bring glory to him. And may everything about our lives point to Jesus. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.